Hello, welcome to the Right Track Podcast. My name is Valencia Stokes and I am your host. The Right Track Podcast is about having interesting conversations with writers and other visionaries that you're bound to meet along the journey. Because this is the fantasy world that you enter when you pick up that pen and decide that you want to make your mark. You're the protagonist and this is your map to get you on the right track. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Right Track Podcast. My name is Valencia Stokes and we have another fantastic panel with us this week. Can you guys please introduce yourselves? Hey guys, I am Dream Jordan, a YA writer from Brooklyn. And my ultimate goal with my literature is to empower underestimated young people. Um, I'm happy to be here and thanks for having me. And I can let you guys know just from the little bit that I've talked to her, Dream is the perfect name for her. Oh, thank you. Sheree. That's awesome. Um, I'm Sheree Stewart. I'm an actress and writer and producer out in Los Angeles. And I really got started writing because I couldn't find the types of roles that I wanted to play available to me. And then I realized that there are probably a lot of people who have that problem. So my writing just kind of grew from there to create a lot of different diverse roles for uh, diverse people. That's exciting. I I have always had a problem with us not having enough diverse roles. So I'm so excited that you're actually doing something about it and, you know, creating what you want to see. J.D.? Yes. Hi, I'm J.D. Edwards, and I'm a YA fantasy writer. And, uh, you know, I started writing because I wanted to write stories that my son would someday enjoy when he became a teenager. And uh, that's why I write. That's a great, great reason. Wish my parents would have tried to write a nice <laughs> book for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, you kind of already answered this already, but what really got all of you into writing? Dream, you can start us off. Okay, I'll set it off. Basically, I've always known that I was going to be a writer. I love to read. Um, I wanted to create stories that I would have wanted to read when I was younger. And because I was sort of an at-risk youth growing up, I realized I had a lot of wasted potential. So through my fiction, I want to empower young people who might be, you know, getting off the right path. I like that. I like that. Sheree? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, just like I said, you know, I've been an actor for a long time and it just started to wear on me the types of roles that were available, readily available. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm super interested in weird sci-fi, Twilight Zone, horror kind of genre mashed up fiction and movies and television shows. And there weren't a whole lot of characters who look like me in those types of shows. And so Mm -hmm. I started to, you know, write my own web series and then podcasts and then short films and hopefully feature films that, and I had a script for a feature film that turned into a novel that I'm I'm shopping right now. It's just, I've always written, but it sort of became out of necessity Mm -hmm. and then morphed into more of a passion after the fact Mm -hmm. and so I'm finding I really really love it not as much as acting but really like a super close second (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the two mediums like they're perfect for each other like as an actor you you get into the heads of the characters that you Mm -hmm. are acting out and then 
you you're creating it when you're writing and you can probably easily easily slip into their minds as well and like they probably complement each other very well there is a good amount of overlap yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can probably like as an actor you can be like okay i know what they're trying to do with the motivations and either and even kind of like predict a little bit what you think would happen and it might be right i don't know i'm just thinking but <laughs> no it's there, there's some validity to that it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of you know working as an actor and like really working on the craft you kind of have to hone your empathy mm-hmm. and your your ability to feel what other people are feeling and react the way you think that a character would react in a in a given situation And so being able to almost be outside of myself to write other people, you know, has been a skill that I've developed as an actor that has served me pretty well, I think, as a writer. I think that is so great. Like, that's like probably one of the best best paths you can take as a writer. Um, JD, how did how did you get into writing? Well, actually, I grew up as a uh, very introverted child. And I had an overactive imagination. So when the two of those merged, I uh, just started making fantasy scenarios for G.I. Joe's and any sort of, uh, any sort of uh, toy or whatever I could get my hands on, whether it was a Matchbox car or you know, He-Man, uh, just anything. And I would just uh, create worlds for them and uh, give them all personalities and different voices and that eventually just led into uh, creative writing in high school. And uh, over the years, it morphed into uh, writing fantasy. And I had a story to tell, so I wanted to tell it. So, JD, are you basically telling me that you made fan fiction as a child? Basically. I uh, I didn't really use any sort of uh, TV shows or anything as a guide. It was uh-huh. just... I would get imagination or some idea in my head. Uh, for instance, I found a bunch of caterpillars crawling on the side of our house. So I spent days building a city in our sandbox and then put them into that city and uh, eventually, you know, gave them all names and created storylines for them and things like that. That is adorable. <laughs> mm-hmm. What does storytelling mean to you? Do you use it to like teach people or do you use it to just entertain people? It eventually, it originally started out just to entertain, but uh, I, I was really a fan of Star Trek growing up. And mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the original Star Trek series, uh, even in Next Generation, they always incorporated uh, current, current events and uh, current situations into their fantasy or their uh, futuristic storyline to kind of, you know, tell a story and uh, give people a different perspective on the issues of the day. And that's what I really wanted to do with my, with my stories. So, you know, all of my couples are interracial and uh, you know, I have strong female characters and things like that. I think that's like some of the best writing that you can find is where it has some some bearing on real life stories, but it's completely different. Like you, some people would even probably completely miss it. So I really like seeing that where you can draw parallels in real life and you're like, that's supposed to be that about that. So I really do like that. What does storytelling mean to you, Sheree? Um, well, for me, it's just a way of exploring 
fears and kind of thoughts and passions that we aren't always afforded the luxury of having. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of that thing in the black community a little bit where we're like, you know, therapy is weird and that's not something that we have time for. And, Mm -hmm. you know, fantasy is not something that we have time for. We have real problems and, you know, stuff like that. It's like we, as seeing movies and TV shows about the struggle are really important. Mm -hmm. And, but I think it's also equally important that we have, are allowed to have fantasy and a future mm-hmm. and see ourselves in, in different scenarios that, that incorporate, you know, not necessarily you can, I'm like, we want to touch mm-hmm. on the past, but I want to yeah. also like bring into the future and speculative fiction. And I see that happening way more than ever before. And it's mm-hmm. like kind of a super exciting time for a fan and a viewer and, you know, a watcher of movies and TV shows to be able to see us in just a horror movie that, you know, we don't have to worry about that character being the first one to die or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Make it to the end. (laughs) I would grow up and I would be like, I was like, why can't we have like a black Indiana Jones movie or something? Why do I have to learn about like this racist past every time? Can I get somebody doing some cool Indiana Jones stuff? And I feel like people would look at me and be like, are you crazy? Like what's wrong with the movies we already have? And I'm like, I'm so- I just like, I want to see Cinderella. What we got Brandy to do it. Hey, that was, in the <laughs> <laughs> that was groundbreaking when that, that came was out. Movie. It really was. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's deemed as frivolous because there are so few opportunities afforded to create media mm-hmm. that if you do have the opportunity to make a movie, it has to be important. It has to be about yeah. something that can speak to the struggle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just had this weight attached to it where, you know, black filmmakers and really filmmakers of color, you know, of all mm-hmm. races are not afforded opportunities to expand beyond certain topics because they're not important enough. Because there are so few opportunities available mm-hmm. until you just, make your own opportunities. Yeah. And that's like the worst because you're, you're just rehashing the same old stuff and you're, you're not allowing like the younger generation to kind of thrive on seeing themselves in things like Black Panther or something. And then because what you see, you're going to, you know, um, you're going to recreate and you're going to try, you're just going to imitate like you not, not you're just like, Oh yeah, this is what I grew up on. And this is what they end up liking instead of hearing something super sci-fi awesome. And it just, it's just a weird cycle to get stuck in. And I remember I would just get very upset because I'm like, okay, I would like to read a princess diaries book, but with a black girl, but I'm stuck reading something that doesn't really interest me at this moment because it's kind of depressing, you know? Right. And in the same way, you know, we want to see characters that that look like us that that are in these situations. It's also important that other people see characters that look like us in these other situations to kind of show that we're not really all that different. Like black kids have been dressing up as Superman and Batman and Spider-Man for a generation now. And it was very exciting when Black Panther came out. You're seeing little white kids dress up like Shuri and Mm -hmm. Black Panther and it's just to show that the industry has been so wrong for so long saying that yes. other people wouldn't identify with the stories of other people. And it's just not true. 
which is ridiculous because if as a black person or as a Asian person, you can identify with a white person, why can't you do the same thing flipped around? But that's exactly. a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does storytelling mean to you, Dream? Uh, storytelling to me is I would call myself an edutainer. So I educate as well as entertain. Um, and everything you guys said was on the mark. The reason I chose to focus on a young person in a sort of a uh, really um, under, she's, she's in dire circumstance, you know, she's in forced care, <clears throat> but I also give her a comic edge. I give her hope. I give other children hope. So storytelling for me is making an impact through narrative. And um, like I said, I do agree with what you guys were saying, mm -hmm. because it is true. We don't get to see us uplifted. It's always the recycled sadness that is important to know. But in order to move forward, we also have to go into other areas. Um, yeah. There's a joke that says, you know, if a black person is in the movie, you better come early. <laughs> we have to change that, you know. So, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, I forgot the comedian, but totally, <laughs> totally true. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. now, does writing have any part in like your day-to-day -day life? Um, well, I'm at a crossroads right now. I actually quit my job in order to pursue this whole book thing. Um, but who told me to do that? I'm not Stephen King. So <laughs> I'm here to tell people, keep your day job and, you know, do your writing, writing on your own time. You can make time. So right now I'm at a crossroads. Like, do I do this full time or do I, you know, do that nine to five? It all depends. Sheree? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, see, I, I actually am a little bit in that same boat. I did the nine to five for a really long time, and I found I was unable to do a lot of other creative activities. And so I've started to jump into freelance stuff. Um, like I do transcription for uh, closed captioning and things like that where I can create free time to write. Uh, mm -hmm. This has kind of been my artistic sabbatical is what I've been calling it. Um, nice. It is it is difficult though. I mean, it really is to find, and once you find a way to monetize the writing, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like step wow. one, quit your job, step two, profit. <laughs> <laughs> what happens between one and two? <laughs> Hello. Uh, sadness. <laughs> <laughs> JD? Well, uh, my day job is actually a network engineer. So uh, writing involves technical documentation for the most part. Anything that any job that says engineer, like it could be like serial engineer or <laughs> <laughs> or something. And I'm just like, oh, my God, they're an engineer. <laughs> I'm in the presence of a very smart person. <laughs> well, I kind of uh, stumbled into the job and learned as I went along. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a college education. I learned everything on the job. Oh, really? Nice. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, so back to what Dream was saying about quitting her job and, you know, kind of juggling with that. Um, I guess that goes back to expectations versus reality, because I'm sure all of us expect to be J.K. Rowling and just balling all the time. 
but Hello. that's not always gonna happen <laughs> you might be like you gonna be broke on the street <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she started out broke on the street too so oh true true yeah true. i'm trying to get what she got yeah one of my favorite authors is stephen lawhead uh he's been writing books since uh the early 1980s you've probably never heard of him uh, he only has wow. a, he probably only has a couple thousand followers on twitter but he writes some of the best stories i i've ever read uh some stories about robin hood and uh, saint patrick and celtic fantasies and historical fiction he does everything and you know he had really hasn't made it big but he keeps going and uh, wow. you know, i applaud him for that wow i guess it's just you know keep going and build your following because even if you don't get like that big burst of just oh my god i have a million dollars all of a sudden you can create your career through time and then your followers will follow you if your work is good and then before you know it you might be like okay i have a couple hundred thousand followers and things just spin off from there and maybe you will have a million dollars or maybe that's just another expectation. Dun, dun, dun. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel it is a horror movie if you spend your life expecting. You should just always work towards your goal and hope for the best. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you can waste a lot of time and energy and spirit. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then you, your dreams have passed you by and you didn't really live a fulfilled life. Fulfilling fulfilling life. And so that's why, for instance, on Twitter, I don't sweat the number of followers I have. I don't always follow back out of obligation. I want to make real connections because numbers and um, what do you call that? Uh, What do you call it when validation? So validation and numbers mean nothing to me because I've been through all of that, you know, in terms of making mistakes in my focus. Mm-hmm. What's important is to write the story you want to write and hope for the audience um, that you want, you know, and hopefully the rest will follow. True, true. Sheree? Um, I think that it, it definitely, especially with anything in the creative field, it just has to come down to your passion for the art of it. Um, you know, you do have to have a head for business and, and keeping your your house in order and you can't you know, put your life on hold. Um, like Dream said, I know a lot of actors who, you know, don't have relationships and don't have families and they're just, I'm waiting for my career to hit, you know, and mm-hmm. then you wind up wasting your life. And the same, you know, I can th- think can be said for any kind of artistic medium where your life is where your art is going to come from. And so you mm. can't put your life on hold hoping for your big break. You have to just live your life and create your art and you know opportunities will come out of that wait hold up hold up valencia you didn't tell me there was going to be a pulpit up in here like (laughs) right you are preaching i love it yes okay sorry sorry i had to say that no look this is hitting me deep because i'm revealing my age i'm only 22 you guys and this what yes oh my goodness you are a boss (laughs) absolutely so i was legally able to drink before you were born (laughs) (laughs) wow i'm 
so proud of wait can i just say this really quickly yeah, yeah so yeah. so we were um for all the audience listening out there i need you guys to know how we connected and jd it's nice to meet you as well um i just want to say so camilla writes is a twitter juggernaut and she mm -hmm. through algorithms brought us together and yes. so i had mentioned i wanted no valencia mentions i want to do a podcast do a tweet and I'm like, me too. The next week, Shorty got her podcast. She got the guest. Like, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, she is a boss. So I just want you guys to know this podcast is just going to blow up. And I'm so proud of her. And I'm so proud of you. I'm just telling you that as well, Valencia. You why are you, a boss. Why are you what? trying to make me cry in the middle of the podcast? <laughs> No, I'm so serious. Like, that's a true story, people. That's a true story. Thank okay, I'm done. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Camilla is the queen of a uh, writing community, I believe. Shout out, shout out, Camilla. Shout out to Absolutely. her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited to have all of you on here. Like, every time I start the podcast, I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to say. But then everybody so far has been phenomenal and I'm dying because I'm like how how did how is there so many amazing people to choose from I just don't know <laughs> what to do but no yeah so I'm only 22 and wow. it's just nice hearing everybody's you know thoughts on everything and I do have to constantly remind myself now I'm like okay you're 22 this is a pretty good age before you know it you're gonna be 30 i've heard way too many stories about people being <laughs> like i blinked and i am married with five kids now and i'm just like oh my gosh i i i gotta stop freaking out about the small things and just write my book if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't but just never stop so exactly i hope everybody's listening don't stop Please don't. <laughs> Even exactly. you know, I, I open myself up. Uh, I'm not going to say I'll give the best advice and the best, um, you know, comfort. But if you if you need somebody to just be like, yo, tell me to keep going. I'll tell you to keep going. I'll, I will write you a message in the DMs of Twitter. <laughs> to <tell> you <laughs> <keep going. laughs> You're definitely the most like super positive person that I know on Twitter. She <laughs> really <laughs> is. She really is. That's Wait, you are too, Sheree. You are too. Yeah. I try. I try. Mm -hmm. You two are like one of the top people that I can expect to just pop up randomly with like some awesome words. And I'm just like, oh, I love them. They're so great. And then when we oh. had our little conversation together, I was like, this is awesome. And Jay <laughs> has been there from the beginning. And I'm just, I, I know his, his logo now. I'm like, oh yeah, there's JD. <laughs> yeah, he has a fly logo. I need yes. to ask him where he got that from. But anyway. I actually created it. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. It's dope. A man of many talents. Mm -hmm. Many, many yeah. talents. <laughs> wow. I didn't want people to either buy my books or reject my books mm -hmm. based on my race or my gender. So I went with initials for my name and an unassuming profile picture. Mm. So when people follow me, they follow me because of my work, wow. not because of any other reason. Mm -hmm. Awesome. True. True. Wait, he brought up that word rejection. Can we cover that? Yeah, yeah. How do you handle rejection? JD, I know that you said you had a two rejections. 107. 107 what? rejections? How did you keep right. going? 107 over the last 13 over the last oh, 13 wow. years. Wow. How'd you mm -hmm. keep going? 
Um, I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, I can always publish by myself if no one wants it. But I knew that I had a good product mm -hmm. out there and I just refused to accept that, you know, it was a bad product. Uh, what I ended up doing is I had to learn what I was being rejected for. And that's really hard with the rejection letters because mm -hmm. they say things like, uh, this isn't the right fit for me right now, but some other house may want what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. No, they don't. Uh, I've come up with a list of things they're looking for, and I've been able to reincorporate that into my books to be able to you know, clean them up, polish them. When they say, make sure you polish your manuscript before you submit it, you know, I know what that mm -hmm. means now. And I didn't know that 13 years ago. I didn't know that last year. Mm. And by the time I had learned what that meant and learned how to edit and had found my voice, that's so important, finding your voice, not writing like someone else. You know, if someone says, well, you don't write like someone else, mm -hmm. great. You know, I want my own voice. I want to be unique. I don't want to be the next Michael mm -hmm. Crichton. I want to be the next J.D. Yes. And that's the view I had to take on it. So I ended up just uh, self-publishing and mm -hmm. – Decided that once I got my name out there, you know, then I could start on another series and try and do the pit mads, the, you know, Twitter pitch parties and all that for a different series that hasn't been touched yet that I've taken the time to polish and hopefully I'll have a better chance on the next series. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thank you so much because I, you responded. That's how I knew about your 107 rejections. You responded to, does anybody have a interesting journey, which I asked on Twitter and somebody asked you like, how do you, um, how'd you, um, what do you call it? How did you edit your work? And you dropped a right. whole bunch of information if I'm not mistaken. So thank you so much because I think that's great. Just spreading the information and letting people know what to expect and what they should be fixing. So thank you. It feels like it's been a lifetime. It's only been 13 <laughs> years, but mm -hmm. to me, it feels like a lifetime. Aww, that's and I've just submitted the third book to a, uh, another writing contest. You know, I, I'm incorrigible. What can I say? I'm hoping for 108th rejection, I guess. But, <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. Look, like this word, rejection. We'll no. Bless <laughs> up, bless up. But no, I wanted to jump in on the rejection part. I wanted that to be eliminated from the writer conversation. So can we talk about redirection versus rejection? Yeah. Sure. So let's talk about it, writers. Um, wait, for, for years, wait, first of all, mm -hmm. oh, are mm -hmm. you going to talk about your rejections? Oh, well, I, yeah, my book <clears throat> was rejected, <clears throat> excuse me, my book was rejected many times, and I was almost going to give up, and then I had unearthed some letters I got from an eighth grade graduating class who read the first chapters of my novel before I even knew what I was doing, and their enthusiastic response was proof that the editors didn't necessarily know what was good for my, my demographic. You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so based on those letters, I reinvented myself, reinvigorated myself and kept going. And I eventually got published, got, you know, two books out, award winning. Um, you haven't heard from me yet, but you will. So as far as rejection versus redirection, I just want to encourage writers to think in that way of, excuse me, I want writers to think of redirection versus rejection 
you are not being rejected. That word itself has such a highly charged meaning and it makes you feel down, like someone doesn't want you or so that someone doesn't like your work when it really is, this is not right for us. Like that really is what happens. And mm -hmm. the proof of that was when I met an actual editor years after she rejected my book, I met her through a friend and I was like, wow, editors are human. <laughs> and, you know, when she asked for my number, forgetting that she rejected my book, mm -hmm. I was like, wow. So I'm not saying this was a validating experience. It was more so don't take it so personal. It's just not the work for them. But never say I got rejected. Say you got redirected. Okay. Yeah, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank Sheree? you. Um, well, for me, uh, I've just recently kind of started putting myself out there as a writer. But working as an actor for, for so many years, you're constantly being told, this is the only job where you can go to school for it and have a degree in it and be still told that you can't do it. You know, as a job, like I can go to school to be a doctor and nobody's going to tell me you can't be a doctor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, right. I can have all kinds of degrees and be in constant class and still be told for whatever reason, no, you can't do this job until, you know, I started really kind of connecting with casting directors on, on, a, on a human level and just, you know, talking to them and, and finding out it doesn't if you are consistent with your craft and you're good at what you do and you're just bringing yourself to the table your reason for them not wanting you can be something simply as arbitrary as you might look like that producer's ex-wife and that he hates like it has literally <laughs> nothing you might walk in the room with perfume that smells like somebody's you know girlfriend and they just got into a fight that morning like it can literally be something that arbitrary and yeah. i wish i had you know so now going into it as a writer and, and getting, you know, yeses and nos, I'm not really taking it to heart the way I probably would have if I had started as a writer, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. I have this, this already understanding that people will take what you have or not based on reasons that are not really under your control. And all I can do is consistently put out the best product I can put out. Right, That's the right. only thing I can control. All right. You guys thought I was talking about writing rejections, but actually I was talking about dating rejections. So I'm going to tell you my <laughs> dating stories. No. <laughs> Actors are literally the face of like rejection, basically. Like when you when you see like, oh, this mother is very bearing or something you're immediately like oh she wanted to be an actor or something or if you see somebody working uh in LA you're like oh they're probably an actor or something so like mm -hmm. actors get the most rejection so well it's yeah. really funny too there's that that adage that that we always say here in town it's like every overnight success is 10 years in the making yeah so you'll yep. see somebody hit yep. that scene and you're like where do they come from who is this hot new person and they've literally been on the grind for at least a decade yeah yep. like like lupita nyong'o mm. she's mm -hmm. new and up and coming and then it's like no she's like 30 and she's been in the business for a few years now or something mm -hmm. you know <laughs> I wow. love Yango, by the way. But um, come on the show, Lupita. No. <laughs> um, word. Now, Dream, you have a word that you've been pushing on Twitter. I kind of know a little bit about it. <laughs> explain. What is gemification? 
Ah, and you pronounced it right and everything. Because people are like, what the heck is this and why is it important? What's gamification? (laughs) (laughs) Well, gamification is a spinoff of the word gentrification. Oh. Um, And it talks about, like, it, it deals with the idea of not understanding your value and then having someone else take over. So gemification came about owing to my background. I am from Brownsville, Brooklyn. And the looks that I receive, like if I'm at a swanky affair and they're like, oh, you're from Brownsville? You don't look like you come from Brownsville. And my question is, well, what am I supposed to look like? You know? And so mm-hmm. when I created my character who is in foster care, and I did that purposefully to show that doesn't matter who you come from or where you come from. I wanted to show brilliance is possible no matter what kind of hardship, no matter your background. So gemification is essentially making brilliance out of hardship. You know, I want to change the narrative because a lot of kids, especially those from, let's say, the projects or the hoods of the world, they carry the shame and they don't understand that they are gems. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of recognizing that before someone takes away your shine. So I, I don't like know that. if that helps, but I'll just give you a very quick anecdote. Anecdote: I was at a book uh, signing and it was swanky and, you know, someone was asking me, where are you from? And I told them. And then he's like, well, you know, Brooklyn, yeah, there's a lot of trauma there. I lived there, but I had to move. And he thought he was impressing me because I no longer live in Brownsville. I live in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So he thought I would like his message of, yes, you had to leave the trauma. And I actually had to tell him that I've experienced more ridiculousness in <laughs> these luxury buildings than I've ever experienced in my own hood. And mm-hmm. I shut him up and shut him down. So gemification is about being proud of where you come from and understanding that you are, you are good enough. That's the bottom line. All right. I like that a lot. Thank you. I, I yeah. like how you did the gemification and gentrification. I love that, honestly. Thank you. Spread the word, y'all, because yeah. it's been a struggle, okay? <laughs> it's going to catch on. I feel it. That's um, what's up. <laughs> Sheree, JD, um, I want to ask you, this wasn't on the list, but I want to ask you, is there anything that you've taken like from your experiences that like in childhood or just something you've held like really near to you that you wanted to spread through your work? Well, uh, again, uh, you know, I said that I have uh, interracial couples in my book and mm-hmm. that's really what I want to spread because when I grew up, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand what racism was. I mean, if mm-hmm. you can't tell from my accent, I'm white. <laughs> but everybody thinks that, you know, oh, you're, you're white. You know, I don't say everybody, but uh, <laughs> many people will think that because I'm white, you know, I grew up in the lap of luxury. And I actually grew up on welfare. Mm-hmm. You know, I've used an outhouse many times. You know, I've, I've had to scrounge for food. I've had to drink out of a water hose. I've had hot dogs as my only snack because we couldn't afford anything else. You know, I had to struggle for everything I had. I started working when I was 12 just to help my family out. You know, I've had a, I'm not going to say I've had a rough life, but you know, I've had a lot of struggles and I still have struggles, you know, and everybody has struggles. So I kind of put that into my 
in my stories, um, I have a lot of different races in my book. It's a fantasy novel. You know, you have elves and satyrs and fae and <laughs> dryads and all sorts of different characters. But every race in my book have an underlying racial purity that they want to maintain. So any sort of half-bloods are just shunned. You know, a lot of my friends growing up were half-bloods. I had one of my best friends, Chris, was uh, half Cherokee. And uh, uh, Jason, he was uh, half black. His mom was white. And I saw the way he was treated just because he had a white mom. And that, that stuck with me. So those are the type of things that are underlying themes in my books. You know, how, how do you combat, you know, racism, even if it's in a fantasy novel? So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I do it, but with different races than just, you know, white people and black people. I have, you know, gnomes who don't like the dwarves and, you know, things like that. So okay. crazy, like how certain things just stick out to you in your childhood. Like mm -hmm. things you might not even, you, like you probably wouldn't even be able to readily identify, but you're just like, you know what? That, that stuck with me throughout my life. Sheree? Mm -hmm. Well, I think... My writing generally tends to skew towards uh, weird, <laughs> I'll say, um, just weird and, and perhaps unsettling. And I, as a kid, was a huge bookworm, kept to myself, you know, nerdy little kid who lived in the library kind of kid. But it, it always kind of, you know, tended to skew a little darker um, in terms of explanations for things. And so I really, in, you know, enjoy finding, you know, the, it's like, it's a magical realism, um, types of explanations for things that seem mundane, um, and allowing little black kids and, you know, really all kids to see that it's okay to explore that kind of fantasy life that rich fantasy life and not mm -hmm. feel ridiculed for it or that it's frivolous or that you know it doesn't mean anything it's not you know based in reality um you know i'm working on a second my second book right now while i'm shopping the first is just something i can't let go of i was a little kid in los angeles during the riots and mm, um, wow that is a a part of our history that we don't really see that much of in media and culture, but I'm working on sort of a fantasy novel about these kids who are living in the neighborhood and seeing these things going on around them, but are forced to contend with the supernatural entities that are feeding off these negative emotions during this turbulent time. And so I, I want to be able to, tonight, you know, and as a kid, like I would see, these things happening and, and imagine almost in a pan's labyrinth kind of way, like the weirdest, craziest explanations for why these things were happening. Mm -hmm. wow. And that just kind of stuck with me always as even, you know, now as an adult and putting them to paper, I'm like, wow, I really was a weird kid. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I want to just be able to show kids that it's okay. It's okay to be yeah. a weird kid and it's okay to be a weird adult, you know? My jaw just dropped open at that explanation of your book. I was like, what? No. <laughs> that's, that. that's my second book. Not the one that I'm that I that I got going on right now, but it's definitely like I it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back to me. Like like I have this whole folder of ideas that I'm throwing in for this this next one. 
Oh, wow. I can't wait to read it. I, it's going to be big. <laughs> Word. Now, are there any writing or author pet peeves that you have? I know that, especially since we're now all on Twitter, there are very niche things that you can be annoyed about. And there are very broad things, like maybe being annoyed with yourself for procrastinating. Are there any things on your list? Oh, I have a long list. Y'all ready? Or how much time do we have? <laughs> um, well, I would start with <clears throat> the whole follow idea. Like, I really want to connect with writers like you guys. You guys are awesome. And more, more people like you. But you never know if the person is following you for an authentic reason or it's that quid pro quo and it keeps happening. Like mm -hmm. it's, you know, they're sliding in the DMs. That's why you see that big red no DMs on my name because I've had people slide in, hey, you wanna, you wanna do this business venture with me? And I'm like, uh, YA author, <laughs> what business? You know, so it's, it's not knowing if you're connecting with a person for an authentic reason and it just feels like it's a numbers game you know or just just being presumptuous with the connection and getting a little too familiar so it's kind of skating that line and not knowing who's who um, until you forge a real sort of cyber relationship does that make sense yeah, no, I, yeah. It, oh, okay. <laughs> very easily easy to descend into because like I've mm -hmm. seen I feel like I can't say that I'm not kind of like I haven't had the same problem or anything, but mm -hmm. I feel like some of the bolder people will kind of take, oh, we follow each other. So now this means you're going to retweet everything that I do. And but this means that we're friends and I can, oh, you're an editor. So guess you're going to edit my book for free. Um, right. No, this is my right. business. What do you right. mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. People don't understand. Like I just did a panel and this lady, she shows up at two of the panels I did after and yes, she's an aspiring writer. And yes, I want to encourage people who are trying to do what I once tried to do. So I'm not forgetful. But she tends to like skip the line when people actually want to buy my book. You wow. know, she wants to get all of the writing information and how can I get published and who's your agent. And she's not ashamed that she's not even supporting this sister over here, but she's being bold and blocking everyone else from buying my book. And it wasn't like I had a long line to begin with. So it's mm. like, fall back. And, and it's sad when people think, oh, she's stuck up. She don't remember where she came from, but it's really royalties matter. And if you're not making money, you, you can't make a living. Like writers do not eat air. And I yeah. need people to understand you have to be supportive in order to be supported. Mm -hmm. Throwing back to what JD had said before about the one writer that um, has been working since the 80s and he only has like a thousand followers or whatnot. I think the people perceive writers if you're not JK Rowling, if you don't have an active security around you, you're basically fair game. Like mm -hmm. if you if you have a small following to start off with, doesn't matter how successful you are, doesn't matter if you are you you are working with JK Rowling, like you literally got her number in your phone, if they perceive you as a smaller author, they're going to try and try you in some ways. And that's yep. not cool. No. Nope. No. Nope. Yeah. Any other pet peeves? I'm more of a Twitter phantom. 
like I lurk in and out and I see people's posts and I like, and I'll comment when, when I have time, but I think I'm going to have to start getting like Elsie writes and make lists because I have noticed like, as you build up more and more followers and connections, you lose connections that you want to keep. They're yeah, harder to maintain and Twitter. Like I'll be in the middle of reading a really great post and about to respond and Twitter will refresh and it'll be gone and I'll yes. never see it again. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that's kind of the pitfall of growing your following too fast mm -hmm. with the, the follow Fridays thing. You know, it's great and it seems awesome. And you have, you know, I have a thousand followers in a month and that's amazing, but it's, sacrifices the time it takes to really make connections with these people. And you, before you know it, the people you've kind of gotten to know over the past couple of weeks, they're gone and they're yeah. lost in the sea. And if you really haven't taken the time to really get to know them, you know, if somebody changes their avatar, you'll never find them again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think there is something to be said about measured growth as well on Twitter and mm -hmm. all the platforms. That's why, yes, that's why I'm always saying, oh, please don't add me. Like, I know it sounds like I'm, trying to be fake humble, but I am always amazed when I make the list for follow Friday, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of afraid because if I don't follow back, then it's like, oh, she's selfish, but they don't know. Oh, I just befriended someone who is like tweeting X-rated jokes or mm -hmm. this person slid in my DMs too much. I, I don't yeah. want to vet each person, you know, um, based on not, not knowing their bio doesn't really show who they are in, in total. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, no, I got you. If you, if you listen to the first episode where EJ and Emma and Lunar want, I mean, Oxa, I always call her by her name on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. they talked about, um, properly vetting, vetting the people that you follow back. And I've been doing that. So like, basically I haven't been following back. Like I'll kind of, I'll glance through. I don't have time to glance through everybody, but if somebody catches right. my eye or if we've been talking, definitely if we have been interacting and I really like you, I will follow you back. But right. I kind of slowed it down on like, okay, follow back, follow back, follow back. Because yep. It's just not something that I'm into. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if I start seeing your name a lot, I'm like, oh, that's my friend. I'm very easily <laughs> attached. Like, <laughs> look, like I'm like, oh, let me go visit. Let me go visit Dream in Manhattan. <laughs> Holla, come through, boo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it, it. That's just one of the things, especially because like killers out here you know <laughs> like i don't i don't yes. like it. <laughs> no it's serious you know that's a real thing because yeah. some people are offended like i tend to joke a lot and i gotta calm down and fall back because i tend to joke without knowing if someone knows it's a joke you yeah. know yeah. so you just never know who you're connecting with on twitter and that's happened to me like one um young lady she used the n-word and oh. she yeah and she, she it was a joke and she's white and i'm not really into that what? whole yeah so i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know based on her bio she seemed sweet you know what i'm saying but how do i unfriend her how do i approach her on this you know she may not know and what? i feel twitter is the vibe yeah people people are so just not aware sometimes so you have to give the benefit the benefit of the doubt even though she should know better i get the whole Oh, yeah. It's confusion because if someone yeah. tweeted it and retweeted it, then how 
I don't know. It's too much to get into. But my point is, this is what really made me say, okay, I can't be following back. I'm going to take a default following break right now. Yo, that made me mad. That made me mad. Yeah. But, you know, Twitter, like we said, you know, Camila, she brought us together. I feel Twitter. You know, our writing community is a colorless community and we support each other. Just it's just a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad I found it because I actually was going to give up on Twitter. Like I was done. I had 50 followers. (laughs) What? You feel me? I have 50 followers. I was so done. (laughs) I think I just (laughs) I just had like my ninth anniversary on Twitter. And I yes, like I've had it since April 2010. And wow. I did not use it at all. <laughs> like wow. I kinda, like over the years, I would kind of be like, okay. And then there were some things that you could get for free online if you retweet. And I'd be like, let me retweet this. And it, I have like 25 followers. And then mm. I came across a Camilla post. It was like days later. And I came across it. I was like, I need to get on this before it ends and blah, blah, blah. And then just over time, it just took off and I was like this is amazing I've been on here for nine years I have had 25 followers and now in a day I have reached 100 like I was so excited when I reached 100 I thought that I was like I'm a networking guru you can't tell me nothing (laughs) (laughs) now the writing community has definitely saved my Twitter account because I was following Mm -hmm. you know a ton of actors and then you know, because those were my friends and those were like the followers. And then I got to realize, you know, everybody was chasing that celebrity ratio. Wow. Yeah. They wanted to have like way more followers than they were mm-hmm. following. And I'd have people, I'm like, listen, I'm friends with you in real actual life. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to follow me back on Twitter because yes. you yes. have like no yes. body that you're following. And I'm like, so I had to like literally unfollow people that I'm actually friends with in life because they mm. want to have this celebrity ratio and they don't want to really interact on Twitter. And then I finished writing my my novel that I that I wrote and realized, oh, I need to have a writer platform, but I can't divorce that necessarily from my actor platform. And mm-hmm. finding that hashtag, you know, just trying to figure out where to go. I think Sarah J. Um I think her last name is Brightside now because she just got married. And then Camilla uh, yes. and then Elsie writes. Like those were like the first three people I found in the writing community, which was so fortunate because mm-hmm. it opened up this huge network of real actual people who are really creative and really trying to mm-hmm. do things. But like I said, like that measured growth, like I had to take a pause and be like, you know, seeing like flame wars that were happening and people getting really in their feelings and fighting. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you have guys who are stalkers and I guess girls who are stalkers, yeah. but I'm not involved in any of that, but I'm seeing it by proxy. And then I have to go through my Twitter list and see if I'm following these people that are harassing yes. other people. Yes. And it's like, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, these people are strangers. Yeah. For real. I saw one guy, he had like 15,000 followers and people like a ton of people I knew were following him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't like call out everybody, not call out, but like message everybody and be like, hey, you're following this dude. I just called a few people and was like, hey, you should check this person out because he's trash. I reported him. He was saying the N word. He was saying, he was was like, you're writing as trash. You're, he was talking about, he was, making light of like domestic abuse i was like this is oh no oh i think i know who you're talking about oh my god raggedy i was just sometimes writing community 
can be salty central, but that's all of Twitter. (laughs) So I don't even see it. I haven't came across too many bad things. So I really have come to think of writing community is a family at this point. So yeah. like it, it's it's like weird to think about because it's like we don't know these people, but I yeah. feel the I totally just feel the urge if somebody's feeling bad, I'm like, oh, let me drop a gift on my homie, even though we don't right. never talk. I don't even know who this person is, but feel better, sending good vibes. Like it just it it's so open, and I think we're the it's best natural community. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. JD, what you you have a you have a, a dedicated uh, following of friends and awesome people what have what have you encountered on writing community well i've encountered a lot of different uh things one being having an account that doesn't have any sort of gender associated with it mm-hmm. i'll get the uh stalkers too mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. and i just i just block them yeah i uh, get people who you know <laughs> i will follow back if they're an author and they have some sort of writer author type thing in there uh and their little snip, snippet, I'll follow them back unless they write erotica. Now, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a prude, but you know, that's just not my cup of tea. I don't want to see that in my newsfeed. So I won't follow those type of people. Uh, nothing against it if you enjoy that type of book, but you know, just not my cup of tea. <laughs> Scrolling so through I Twitter make... and you just see that bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just not what I want to see on my profile. Yeah. So that, and if they're a company, you know, uh, where I kind of get the spidey senses saying they're going to try and sell me something. I don't follow them uh, unless they're a book publisher. I'll follow them immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you offering something? What's up? Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of ju- judicious. I'll, I'll check their profile too, just to see their recent tweets. I don't go very far. Yeah. But if they're yeah. posting a lot of political stuff, regardless mm-hmm. of the side, I don't care if they're on the right or the left center. I, I don't care. Same. I just if they on my Twitter feed, I get enough. I get enough of that on Facebook and the news. Twitter's Mm -hmm. my escape from that. So I will unfollow you or not follow you if you're posting a bunch Mm. of political stuff. You know, and I understand. You know, everyone has their own feelings on the news of the day. But uh, you know, as long as it's not a constant stream of it, you know, and I, I can mute a lot of it. If there's a topic that's trending, like uh, abortion was recently, yeah. I went into the Twitter and told it to mute those uh, words, so I don't see those type of posts that come up. Oh, I didn't even know words? you could do that. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, you can, you can you can mute words and then you don't even see the posts that. Oh, that's what's up. I'm gonna be mm-hmm. doing that and the list. I didn't even know there was a list. Like I don't know. Oh, what I've that got. Is. You can wow. add people. I've to got the hundreds list. of words on my list. And oh. the, well, Elsie, she adds people to lists, and then you can when you go to look at your feed, you click on a list, and you'll only see comments and posts from the people in that list. Get out. So you, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I made I've that. been added to a list, but I didn't know what that was. Thank and you, guys. You guys are actually going on a list for this podcast where you can see people who have been on the podcast and follow all their stuff. If y'all care, I don't know. Yeah, totally. I care. Yeah, we care. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to envision JD stalkers. Like, you're like, oh, look at that. That gold J and that D. So uh, I follow me and, and they still follow me even though I unfollowed but uh, they sent me a DM as soon as I followed hey thank you for following me check out this you know thing I have to sell 
So I just responded back to him. I said, Hey, thank you for following. Check out these books. I don't know what happened. I, I haven't actually had that in a long time. I wonder if people have gotten the memo that that's annoying. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's bold. It's, but, you know, I kind of I struggle with that because it's like the people who are bold are the people who get there. You yeah. know, when a squeaky wheel doesn't get the oil or the book deal sometimes. So yeah. but I want to keep my decorum and, and just not be obnoxious like that. But at the same time, those are the people getting the business. So I'm a little torn. Like yeah. this editor, she befriended uh, wait, not friend. What do y'all call it? Follower. Okay, she followed me. I just call Twitter. it a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she I, she friended me. And I'm like, okay, I friended back. Next thing you know, she slides in my DM. Hey, mm. I'm an editor. Do you need editing? You know, and I'm like, oh, no, thank you so much. I have an editor at my house, my publishing house. And then she unfollows me. And it's like, Yay! okay, bold and crass, but she's getting the jobs because for no, every. I mean, that's rude. Yeah. Yeah. True. You that, can now. She, you can have. Out there. Maybe, but I feel like if she was really trying to get herself out there, if you, once you say no, you establish a relationship with somebody. And yeah. then maybe down the line, you're not with that editor anymore. You might be like, oh, yeah, I have this friend. Maybe we'll give her a try. It's about, you know, making connections and building relationships. Like, that's exactly. hella rude. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, I've, I've had so much. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's like me being like, Sheree, can you come on the podcast on Friday? Would you be interested? Oh, Valencia, I have an audition Friday. I can't do it. Sorry unfriend like what <laughs> <laughs> no exactly and exactly. let me backtrack because I, I i didn't say anything crazy but since i have this podcast i do have to be quite bold and i'm cringing the entire time that i'm doing it but i'm like oh this is this is what i need to do this is what i'm gonna do and i don't ask I okay, I do ask people that I've never really talked to, but I always make sure that everybody realizes this is kind of an equal exchange thing because right. you're on the podcast and your name hopefully will be out there. Like I'm not even doing this because oh Valencia's name is out there. I'm okay, you know I was gonna say I barely talk during these things, but that's a lie. I'm talking a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually approached you, Valencia. Yes. Oh, yes, wow. you did. <laughs> Technically. That's awesome. I don't think you have to worry about it. I think more if it's like you just followed some, like somebody follows you, you just follow them back, and 10 seconds later, they're in your DMs. Yeah. With yeah, no, no conversation, nope. no, hi, how are you doing? No GIF nope. exchange, no that's kind of happen. context whatsoever is what mm -hmm. is. The, I think violating the Twitter decorum. Like, I think you're you're fine. You interact plenty. Yeah, yeah, you're very fine. In fact, I was low key like, I hope she invite me on the podcast <laughs> now. Right. Okay. <laughs> I have a list. I have a list of people that I really need to get to. Like, most of them, a lot of them I've gotten to, but they were like, I want to come on a podcast when the original tweet did something. I was like, let me write your name down, and I've just been looking and being like, okay, this person would be good here. So yeah, I'm trying to be very open with this. I've veered all the way off top. Um, I know people really hate the tagging games now. Like not everybody. It is. It can get quite annoying to wake up 
with 99 plus notifications from something that you are even involved in. But Mm -hmm. the tagging games can be really fun because this is how most of us have met and interacted with each other. So I really like it. Don't get too mad at it. (laughs) (laughs) How do you guys feel about the tagging games? Sometimes I'm in the mood for it and sometimes I'm not. And Mm -hmm. when I'm not, I just don't go into it like I'll like the post and then I'll kind of mute it if I'm busy like I'm super busy sometimes but sometimes I have time and I'll get into it but I hope that you know people who tag me in those games don't get mad and offended that I don't participate all the time like sometimes I'm a Twitter ghost and yeah that's just what's up but you know Mm -hmm. I don't hate them it's just I don't want to make anybody feel bad or offended if I don't always participate in them yeah at this yeah, point, probably nobody even cares because they're like, okay, I'm trying to mute this myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I was just going to say when I wake up to 20 plus or 50, plus, you know, whatever, and I'm all excited, like, oh, one of my tweets finally <laughs> generated energy. <laughs> oh, it's a tag game. Really? Okay. So <laughs> I don't hate them, but it gives me false hope, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. JD? Uh, there's a saying, all publicity is good pub- publicity. Mm-hmm. And I kind of take take that approach when it comes to the tagging games. You know, I let it go on for a while. And when the conversations just start getting stupid and uh, clickish, I go and I click mute conversation. I move on my day. Mm-hmm. Right. But I enjoy reading people's responses. Yeah, it is fun. I found a lot of people who share some of the same uh, passions yes. that I do. You know, yeah. It gives me someone to follow because I do not. I, I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast. On follow Fridays, I don't go through and follow people anymore. Me neither. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I get follow, you know, but because yeah. I, there's just so many follow Fridays, and I'd go through there, and all of a sudden now I've got a hundred to two hundred people I'm following who aren't following me back. Yeah. Well, right. I've, my, my Twitter feed is cluttered enough without having people mm-hmm. who aren't following me on there. So I'll wait for people to follow me and then I'll check and see who's actually following me. And I go through my process and, you know, vet them and verify them because, you know, if they're not interested in following me, why should I follow them? True. Very true. And maybe that's a snide attitude to take, but, you know. No, it's not. It's not. It's a natural. You want to know that they're really authentically interested in your content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and I want to add that I have followers who they're following me, but they never like the, the post or the tweet. So it's like, yeah. are you really engaging or is this a quid pro quo? You know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you're not snide JD, you're doing okay. the natural thing. You want to vet well, the, the people. I, I honor the people who uh, actually interact with me yeah. and mm-hmm. fo- follow Friday posts. And you'll see right. you know, this, this week, uh, separate everybody by the genre that they write in just because my list was gotten to four four tweets but mm. you know still that's not that many people when considering mm-hmm. i have three thousand people following me and i only do a follow friday for maybe you know 75 of them that's really not mm. a lot of people who interact with me right i yeah. feel like there's pockets of of like yeah i don't know if we are I'm pretty sure we are all in this same little pocket of people like you know how what it is you have six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever like yeah. I can look at somebody and we all talk to that person quite regularly so we might come across each other 
but I'm pretty Natalia. sure. Yes, yes, I love her. <laughs> love um, her. Oh, if you're following Natalia, she had some problems on her Twitter. So do not unfollow her. She did not unfollow you. That was a big thing that was happening. It was Twitter was messing up and it was unfollowing yeah. for her. And wow. and so I went, I was like, what's going on? And I looked at it and she she only had like she was only following like 500 people and had like mm. 3,000 followers. And then I refreshed it and she had everybody back again. And I was like, okay, Twitter, you really trying to ruin some careers out here. People are going to block her. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. but, um, exactly. And I want to add to the, the reason the follow numbers are a concern for me in terms of liking the post. Unfortunately, people kind of follow what people follow. So if they see that you're you're not getting likes, then your content does not become um I don't know, it doesn't get in the feed or something. Yeah, so you can yeah, have this brilliant So that's the only reason I care about the number of likes because I love just lifting my voice and singing, you know, like I want to be on Twitter just to interact, lift my voice. But if you see that I'm getting no likes, that ruins the credibility and the timeline. So I think I don't show up on the timeline. And me and Jacqueline, who's another really brilliant writer, we came up with this idea of the wallflower tweet, uh, a tweet that is standing in the corner. It's really brilliant, but nobody's noticing her. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a whole little thing. So hashtag wallflower tweet, look it up. I love that. <laughs> I will make it a point when I go to my page, I'll, if I see somebody, has a tweet that I even semi like. I'm just like, let me be the first to like it, just so mm-hmm. that they, you know, because you see, I've. Oh, this was this was a really good story. Okay, it's not a really good story. Um, I was following, <laughs> I followed somebody, and then I was just going through things. I was like, oh, she has some good stuff, and then she was like, writing community. I don't have nobody's interacting with me because just for some reason. I guess everybody gets fatigued and they like, I ain't following nobody, but she wasn't right. getting any follows. I retweeted it and then somebody liked it and somebody retweeted it after me because it was like a two hour old tweet. And I was like, yo, I did that because when I woke up in the morning, she had like 200 likes and a whole bunch of follows. I was like, oh, I, feel, I love it. I oh, like I did that. Okay. You I'm- did that. <laughs> you did. Uplift, uplift. I love it. Months. Just a few months ago, I only had 340 followers. Wow. 340. Now I have over 3,000. Wow. You go. Those have been added by doing the right craft resource. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those posts where I post about showing versus telling and Mm -hmm. power verbs. Yeah. And I've found that I get more organic follows, people who actually like my content, when I'm putting content content out there and not just you know plastering on about my book all the time right i, mean, okay. I love talking about my book but nobody really cares when they've heard yeah. it. well that's what wow. they tell us in our in our social media uh classes that we take with <laughs> this is a thing that we do as an <laughs> actor with sag they, they tell you you know you want to provide value for people who follow you and the general rule of thumb that we're supposed to go with is 80 20. So it's 80% of your tweets are things that you are interested in and things that you find interesting and things you might think are helpful. And then the other 20% is like self-promotion because if you get people to engage with you on things that are interesting and topics that can draw people in, they'll be more than happy to look at the stuff that you're trying to sell. Yes. 
Yeah. Right. Great point. Great point. Yes. Um, Okay. Now, this was actually like viral a few weeks back, but I never got to talk about it on the podcast. What do you think about people tagging authors in bad reviews? Would you like somebody to be like, hey, your book is trash? Or would you rather (laughs) not say that? (laughs) Maybe not that harshly. Um, I was on the one mind where I was like, you know, when I before I read that article you sent, I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be tagged in any reviews, good, bad or indifferent, because by the time reviews are coming out, it's already written. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, But then after reading that article and the reason behind tagging an author in reviews, I'm kind of I can see where that person's coming from because it was a librarian who tags authors in reviews as a way to aggregate the post so readers can find it and that's the whole point of reviews anyway is for the Mm -hmm. readers to be able to find your work and like jd said you know all publicity is good publicity it's you know sometimes you'll see a really bad review that'll make you want to read that book so (laughs) i can't i mean yeah it sucks and it might hurt your feelings and they're not always constructive um but i can see why it can be useful Mm -hmm. um I, th- I see it as like a train wreck or an accident <laughs> on the interstate. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to slow down and gawk. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you get a bad review, everyone has to check it out. Man, he can't be that bad, can he? You know, <laughs> and uh, it, you can also use it as constructive, even if they aren't being constructive. You can take something from it because mm-hmm. obviously they had some problem with it. You know, most people, I'm going to emphasize most, aren't jerks just to be jerks. You know, yeah. something rubbed them the wrong way and they didn't like it. You know, I had people early on, you know, tell me that, you know, oh, your book's great. Your book's great. I know they're lying to me now <laughs> because <laughs> I would have said you know, that, uh, that it was trash. But mm. again, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. So yeah. I tell them things that, uh, you know, publishers have told me, oh, it has good bones. Oh, you have a good storyline there. You know, I try to find something that's, you know, beneficial and uplifting, even if I didn't necessarily like the writing style because everything is subjective, but not Mm -hmm. everybody's that kind. So I just try and, you know, take it with a grain of salt and understand that, uh, you know. Do you tag the authors in your reviews? Uh, Yes, I do. Because I want them to see, I, I don't, I don't leave nasty reviews. Yeah. Yeah. You just say the bones are there. But maybe it didn't hit home the way I wanted it or expected it to. Yeah. 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 Something to that effect. You know, there was one book I read. uh, We did a, we actually did a swap recently. And, uh, you know, I didn't really care for it just because of the point of view it was written in. It was Mm -hmm. a good story. I liked it. It was about the Pantheon, really. But, you know, it just wasn't my cup of tea because of the point of view it was written. It was a first-person point of view, a lot of telling. You know, it'd go on two or three pages of nothing but description with no conversation. You know, I, I, I don't like that. But that's not to say that other people don't. You know, other people mm-hmm. do. Some people, you know, some people enjoy that type of stuff. So I didn't even bring that up in the review. You know, I just mm. kind of said, hey, you know, this is a – a nice cross between William Shakespeare and, uh, you know, uh, R.A. Salvatore. 
you know, <laughs> and I gave whatever positive vibes I could uh, to that book. Dream, what's your reaction at Dream Jordan author? <laughs> I hated it. Don't write again. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> oh, I would just, uh, <clears throat> I would take a deep breath. And no, I actually don't want to be tagged about anything regarding mm -hmm. my work that's not good because I'm currently in a in a place where I got to figure out, is this my full-time career? Is this what I'm supposed to do? So my crossroads can be affected by any little thing at this point. So yeah, True. don't tag me, y'all. Don't tag me. Yeah. Unless that's, it's good. That's pretty much where I am. I'm like, do not me i will yeah. die look <laughs> i had <laughs> i had my friend um i'm a shout her out uh shout out to impulsive cookie at impulsive cookie on twitter uh she gave me some good advice and it was it was very valid advice about the podcast that i totally agree with and i was like it, i wasn't mad at it at all but i was like if somebody really came for my throat, I would have a problem. <laughs> like, I would be like, mm -hmm. I would, I would really have a problem with that. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I guess if a thousand people told me it was good and just one person tagged me and said it was bad, I would, I probably might not have a problem. But then again, you've seen people like, I don't know, like Cardi B, she will be on Instagram and people will be like, I love you, Cardi B. I love your music. It's amazing. And then she will pick out that one tweet and go in on the person that says something bad about her. And I can mm -hmm. see how that would happen because the bad stuff just sticks out a lot more and it makes you want to say something. So yeah, yeah, you can't respond to nah. negative reviews. Yeah, period. I'm not. I'm like not you can't nothing. respond to, I mean, I really wouldn't recommend responding too much to any review because it just leads you down a rabbit hole of nonsense that it's already after the fact. Like I said, the work's done, it's yeah. made, it's there for consumption. Engaging in a heated conversation just kind of makes the writer look petty mm -hmm. and unable yeah. to take constructive criticism and then can maybe validate sometimes an invalid critique because I've seen writers get really in their feelings about bad reviews instead yeah. of just letting it go and making it a bigger thing than it needed to be. Yeah. And let me hop in with that. To piggyback on what Sheree just said, I also apply this rule to talking. When you're talking to an audience, I give talks to young people in detention centers. Um, you know, justice involved kids are are actually sweethearts who are underestimated, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I see them respond to my work and smile, and my book is PG-13, I'm not even R-rated. So for me to be able to catch their attention with my little nerdy, you know, slang and just trying <laughs> to be cool and all that, I had one, um, one worker in the classroom where I gave my pre presentation, and she was like, well, why would you share a fight scene? Don't you think that's negative and da 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 da? And I was a little snippy and the kids saw that and I regretted Ooh. it. You know, uh, I mean, I didn't curse her out. I just yeah. was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm an award-winning author. I make an impact. So I'm not certain why you would pick that to say, you Ooh. know, and, and she, I shut her down. But in hindsight, I feel I could have been more um, poised and, and less in my feelings because the kids do model adults 
And I should have just focused on the fact that they're taking to my work and who cares about this one, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. So. At least you didn't say something like, what, you want to re- reenact the fight scene or something? Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> no. Vaseline, take off my... No, let me stop. Like, <laughs> no, no, but, no. A, phrase, um, a phrase I've learned in the South is, bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yes. I bless that. her heart. Yeah. Word. My bad. But lesson learned, you know, every opportunity I have to present to people, whether it be on Twitter or in person, I learn from each interaction. And that's Mm -hmm. what writing is all about. If you cannot take criticism now, you're not going to survive in the publishing world because they don't sugarcoat. When you have a real editor telling you this doesn't work and you need to remove that, you have to have the poise in order to move forward professionally. So you might as well practice now. Yeah. Um, Sheree made a good point. I think I read another article. It was by Chuck Wendig, I believe. And he mentioned how it is a finished work. Like the book is done. So he, he was making the case against tagging, um, authors. And he said, Mm -hmm. when you're tagging that author, all you're doing is just saying, I don't like your book and blah, blah, blah. What can they do about it? They can't do anything about it. It's already out there. So yep. I do kind of agree with that. I, thumbs down for me. Do not tag me in nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, okay. So that is the end of our podcast. Bye. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please um, show us where we can find you, promote yourself, take this moment to do all that? So dreamjordanbooks.com is my website. And I'm really excited that you know this podcast went really well it's my first podcast so i want to thank you valencia um i want to thank my panel fellow guests like this was awesome so yeah love me or miss me it's out now it needs to sell in order for my new hip-hop book to come out you know i had said in one of my tweets that the industry isn't out to get us it's out to get money so it really is important for authors to be supported in order for them to continue with the good work that they're doing. So that's it. True that, true that. Sheree? Um, sure. Uh, you can find me at my website. It's shereelstewart.com. And I also have um, tcadnetwork.com. It's tcadnetwork.com. That's the, the podcast that I do about entertainment with this producer friend of mine. And Everything that we do is also on there. I have a science fiction radio play podcast that's on there. And I used to do voiceover uh, recordings of creepy stories. Um, and I still I still do that sometimes. And that's on there. So tcadnetwork.com is usually where you can find all like the newest stuff that I have. Great, great, great. JD? Well, I don't actually have a uh, website uh, that I keep up to date. But I do have a spot for all my books. It's lulu.com forward slash spotlight forward slash JD Edwards. And that's where you can find all of my books. Uh, That, Amazon, Barnes Noble, you know, just uh, look up the Fairy Chronicles and I'm out there. All right. There you have it. Thank you so much. I just had a great time. (laughs) We we veered all the way off track, but we got there in the end. (laughs)
The right oh, track, God. y'all. The right track. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Whatever platform you're listening on, remember to follow and leave a review because that will help our algorithm on iTunes and whatnot. So, you know, more people to listen to y'all when y'all come on the future panels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bye. Valencia. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Right Track Podcast. This is going to be the first of many where we put a spotlight on a certain author that catches our eye and sounds super awesome. And the first one that we have is Dream Jordan. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I'm happy to be here. Dream, you're the first person that we have on this segment. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you stand for? Well, to begin, I guess y'all need to grab some milk and cookies because it's about to be story time with Dream Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) So um, once upon a time, there was a big bad man who said to the people all across the land, let's build a wall separate the poor, brag about our riches, say no to dark skin, disrespect women, and snitches get disses. No, I'm not talking about that guy, y'all. I'm talking about mainstream rap. Look, I was like, he said snitches get disses? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm talking about Mr. Hardcore Rapper, Commander-in-Chief, detaining the hopes and dreams of our youth. So, you know, I felt to start like that to just show you what I'm about in terms of putting a personal narrative on real life. And to be honest, hip hop is the voice of our youth. Mm -hmm. But I'm not mad at the hardcore rapper, you know, and I'm here to say that when you don't know your possibilities, how can you rap about hope and inspire the youth? Mm. So that's what I'm here for. That's where I step in. Um, basically as a young person growing up, I didn't really have an idea of how to get where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was like, I would say six, I used to write little stories and, you know, they never got finished, (laughs) but (laughs) I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but where, where do I go from here? So I was a scholar, I would say from first grade to seventh. And then I started acting up in school, peer pressure, got with the wrong crowd. You know the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a wrap for me in terms of academics. And I wasted a lot of time. And rap was in my ear back then. So I wanted to dress nice, gold all of my chains, you know, gold all of my rings. And I wasn't really focused. And um, when I made it to high school, I almost got left back twice. And, um, well, I did get left back, but almost twice. And I was about to drop out of high school. Oh, wow. And so I had to go. Yeah. Yeah. I was a hot mess back then. So I was really focused on my clothes and peer pressure. It was just totally, totally outside of what it means to be a scholar, especially when you're smart. Yeah. But I know, you know, coming from the hood, you're not encouraged to be smart. It's kind of considered nerdy to be smart yeah did you get the oreo thing 
Oh, did I? <laughs> I'm like, nah, I only eat them, son. Fall back. <laughs> Dang, I should have stole that. <laughs> you could take it. You could yes, take it. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm here to change the narrative for youth and parents because a lot of parents tend to focus on getting their kids in the right school and getting them to the right um, circles and, and activities. But they're not really focused on getting the right tools for self-esteem. So mm. that's why I call myself a self-esteem activist. Mm. And that's why I changed the narrative with the words I use. You, you're familiar with that whole gemification thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to put a real face to gemification and, and change the narrative. So I began with the whole rap scenario because as I said, these rappers don't know that they're gems already. So they're busy trying to shine with the ice instead of the beauty that's inside. Right. And because they can't shine in that way, then the kids can't shine in that way. So that's why I write fiction to in inspire and empower young people, especially underestimated young people from the hood in particular. Mm. But the themes are universal. So You say you write you write fiction, but are you sure that you're not going to segue into being a rapper yourself and changing the narrative there? You're going to take on the big rapper? Funny. I used to spit a little bit back For in the real? day. Oh what? Gosh. What? Do you, you want to drop some rhymes? Yes. <laughs> Listen. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know if our listeners are ready for that, but no. um, it's too fire. <laughs> it's too much. It's too fire. It's too fire. But you know, my 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 books have been called lyrical and and poetic. So you know, oh, just wow. check out "Love Me or Miss Me," y'all. Cop it, Amazon. Let me stop. But um, back to the point. <laughs> back to the point at hand. So my mission is to spread, you know, a new message. And and to be honest, we cannot fault the rappers for doing what they're doing if they're not supported when they do try to do the right thing. And the song "I Can" comes to mind. Oh, you know, right. remember that? Yeah, yeah. I used to Sing listen to that me. a lot as a kid. I, I <laughs> you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a kindergartner if I try. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I won't put the pressure on you, but I actually do want to start uh, some kind of, you know, Dream Jordan "I Can" challenge where let's revive that song. Let's show the industry that we do want more of that because, you know, in terms of fiction, Love Me or Miss Me is a reprint of my, uh, my previous books, Hot Girl and Bad Boy. Mm -hmm. So Wednesday's books believed in me enough to reprint my work. Wow. And, you know, <clears throat> I had made a, a statement a while back about um, the industry not being against us. It's out to get money. True. A lot of people think they don't want the, the positive to, you know, to shine and they don't want to support positive fiction or movies or what have you. But it really is. They want to see what's selling because they have a bottom line. Very true. Very true. So get out no. there and support the things that you want to see. Exactly. So take that dream challenge and, um, you know, go go to Amazon and buy I Can. Like that's only 99 cent y'all. And, and yeah. it's so funny because I don't know Nas, this is not an endorsement. This is a symbolic gesture. When you say you're tired of the current state of rap, go out and cop that, the good stuff, you know? Sure. Um, and the same can be said for books or movies, et cetera. 
Um, so again, I do not know Nas. This is not some kind of endorsement. It really is. Can we prove that fiction and art can sell if we get behind it? Because it's not the industry's job to push it if the public just doesn't buy it. They're, they're not buying it mentally nor physically. So we have to right. create change in order to see the change. Well, there you have it on that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. you got to get out there and show our support for things that, you know, like people very easily are like, oh, they don't want to support us and blah, blah, blah. But like, mm-hmm. you know, you got to support yourself first of all, and then the rest will follow. Truly. Oh, man. Listen. So on that note, like when I started out, I used to do a lot of talks and I was more than willing to do free talks. You know, I go to schools. If I have a personal relationship with the teachers, of course, I got you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am currently in the job market and people are still expecting those free talks. Now, if I would sit, sit, uh, what's his name? I would say Stephen King or JK. Of course it's free, you know. (laughs) But (laughs) I am also here to say, you know, don't believe the whole hype about quit your day job and write that perfect novel. It doesn't often work like that. So um, this is a reality situation where you have to make sure you're dreaming responsibly. You know, so you can make time at night to write your novel. You can do it during your lunch hour. Don't think that once you're free of that nine to five that you'll have the perfect setting for writing, writing your, um, you know, your dream novel. So. Yeah. No circumstance is perfect because yeah. I I currently don't really have like a full time or even half time job. It's just a job that I go to every once in a while. And mm-hmm. I still have the same problems I had before, which is Hello. procrastination. <laughs> so you got to make the best. You got to overcome with whatever you have going on in your life, whether it's exactly. no job or a lot of jobs and like I've seen people who have like five jobs do much more work than I do when I have like a day free. So you gotta, you gotta do yourself. You gotta get yourself right before anything else, before you quit that job. That's giving you insurance. (laughs) Pure facts. And I quit and I thought I was doing the darn thing and psych. So this is why (laughs) this is why this hip hop novel has to hit big, y'all. And in order for it to hit big, Love Me or Miss Me has to really, really shine. So, again, that story. So I want to go back to the purpose of my story and that whole gemification thing. Um, I created a character like Kate, who is in foster care and she used to be a gangster because I wanted to show that it doesn't matter who you come from or where you come from, you are special, you are a gem, you know? And that, that is my purpose in fiction, to show the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And with this new hip hop book, I wanna show the possibilities. And I, wanna know, I, want, I want the kids to know what was before, because they, they probably never seen an album with a rapper smiling on it. True, very true. You know, have you ever seen a rapper smile on an album? I'm trying been- to think about it. Not without being surrounded by yachts and a bunch of women. <laughs> Boom. And even then they're not smiling. So yeah. the funniest thing is they were rich. I mean, they were poor and broke back then. Like you would see them walking in the videos because I did all my research. Mm-hmm. I did all my research when I was, you know, going hard for this hip hop novel. But what stopped me is I actually met a hardcore rapper. 
Wow. So this is a lesson in fiction because we're going to intersperse life with real, you know, real life with fiction. What happened was I met a hardcore rapper and he was the sweetest guy I've ever met in the industry. I've met a lot of famous people and none of them can compare to his spirit, his shine. He's on social media showing his baby. And I, I thought to myself in the middle of, you know, plotting my, my book, going hard. I was going to condemn the hardcore rappers and stuff, but mm -hmm. here's one in the flesh. So you know how they say flesh, flesh out your novel. I had to flush down my novel and, <laughs> and rethink what am I talking about? Cause here's a man who's just trying to eat. Yeah. And how can I judge what he, this is all he knows because the people in the community who do good, they usually leave the community. So he had no examples. So yes, he's going to talk about bricks and, and guns and stuff. And mm -hmm. who am I to judge? At the same time, we need to show that when we do have the alternative work out there, it gets supported. So that's that's why I'm struggling with how do I how do I proceed with the original thought of showing that hip hip hop used to be positive, mm -hmm. but at the same time being fair to that hardcore rapper because now there's a face to what I was, you know at one one point condemning in my work i'm excited to read your take on it because i i used to grow up being like ah oh, rap it's kind of i don't really like it like i didn't i didn't i would like certain rap songs like if they had a good beat but overall mm -hmm. i just wouldn't like it but over the years i've gotten more into rap and like to me they're probably like I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but like <laughs> they, they're so. I got your back, girl. I got yeah. your back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they're lyrical genius, geniuses, really. Like they, yeah. I've seen like way too many stories in these rap songs. And you can have the super basic ones about like, I got shoes, I got cars. But then you have <laughs> some people just telling like their story about where they grew up and, and telling about their life and their childhood. And I'm just like, wow. And it's, and, and you have to rhyme in a certain cadence and whatnot. So I have like the utmost respect for rappers these days because they are storytelling geniuses, even though people don't like to, say it or give them their due props so i'm really excited to read what you have oh no doubt thank you yeah shout out to asap rocky and that potato salad joint not many people <laughs> have have heard it or ate it up I but it is <laughs> yo and i feel so guilty because it goes against what i'm saying and i do dance to rap still yeah you know but i i hear what you're saying and i feel that it's okay they do their thing but we also need the balance. So yeah, it's definitely. funny because the people I reached out, like the most woke folks, when I was trying to push Love Me or Miss Me um, to show St. Martin's Press and Wednesday's books, my, my sincerest appreciation for reprinting my work. Like that's mm -hmm. a big deal. And definitely. when I was trying to get these woke pundits to support my work in terms of a shout out, it costs nothing. You know, the woke folks fell asleep at the wheel. Like, oh, wow. nobody cares. But at the same time, we want to do dissertations on rap or, you know, um, the color wars. Like, we want to focus on everything that is without instead of focusing on what's in and how we can build up. So, you know, as I said, when I talk about my hood, I talk about it with pride mm -hmm. because 
most rappers say I made it out the hood. Yeah. So wait, you built your whole success on the hood and now the hood ain't good. So yeah. that that's my stance and I connected to hip hop and my work. So like for instance, Kate in my story, Love Me or Miss Me, at one point she has to break away from her old gang and she says, I wasn't thinking that I was better. I was only trying to do better. You know, like, so wow. that's, that's the kind of thing that a lot of parents need to hear because they tend to shield their kids from the so-called hood kids. You know, yeah. I've had a lot of challenges growing up because I had a portion of my family who, oh, she's from Brownsville. And then another portion, like, oh, she's super smart. And I remember one cousin, <laughs> he heard me say, yo, what up? Or something like that. And he was like, dream. I didn't know you had some hood in you. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm from the hood. What? Like, you can be smart and from the hood. So yeah. it's really important for me to show that through my work. And, and that's part of the challenge of getting it to certain hands because, there are purists out there who feel, oh, she's using slang and it's not, you know, literature, but yet it's an award-winning book that mm -hmm. has been in the hands of teachers and juvenile justice-involved kids. And, you know, so, so it's just amazing when you're trying to do good and the platform is made of, what, toothpicks and <laughs> you got people with a whole forest and they're using the platform just to argue and look smart. Yeah. No, 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 no disrespect. I'm just saying. No, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any excerpts that you can read from your book? Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it short and sweet. So this excerpt comes from Hot Girl. And to give a background on the story, uh, Kate, who is my girl, she used to be a, a gangster. And now she's on the right path because she had a new friend who was considered a nerd. But I always say nerds are actually gangsters and gangsters are actually nerd. I'll, I'll unpack that later. But um, <clears throat> so she meets this new hot girl, thus the title, at a basketball game. And the hot girl is telling her, oh, your gear is whack. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you over. So the scene I'm gonna read, it's a very short excerpt. We're in the bedroom of Nalisha, who is the hot girl. And Kate, she's, she's about to get that makeover. Okay. So, let's get in. <clears throat> Nalija's eyes dropped down to my sneakers. Tell me why your tennis shoes are leaning to one side, Nalija said. She did a couple of leans and started singing lean back, lean back. Then she busted out into a fit of laughter. I rolled my eyes. First of all, you're not in Maryland anymore. They're called sneakers, not tennis shoes. Duh. I thought I had dissed Nalija into silence, but she busted out laughing even harder and said, well, your sneakers need to sneak off your feet because they straight busted. You need a man in your life. I flipped up my middle finger. Laugh if you want to, but I'll get mine regardless. Get yours how? Asked Nalija, looking me up and down, wiping the tears of laughter from her eyes. I pointed to my head. I got brains, okay? I don't need no dude to lace me. And when I get out the system, I'll be completely... The system? Nalija interrupted. Yeah, I'm in foster care. Oh, said Nalija. So yeah, when I get out the system, I'm emancipated. I'll go to college, graduate, get myself a good job. Then I promise you, I'll stay laced with my own money. Feel me? Wow, said Nalija. Wow, what? I said thinking she was impressed with my little speech. 
I didn't know you were a foster child, said Nalisha. You really don't look like one. Well, what does a foster child look like? I demanded. And by the way, I'm not a foster child. I'm in foster care, okay? In a huff, I plopped down on her bed and folded my arms across my chest. Dang, sorry, exclaimed Nalisha. Don't bite my head off. Well, no need to be labeling me, I said. I don't like labels. Yeah, I can see that, said Nalisha, lifting the tag inside my no-name t-shirt. Okay, it's not funny anymore, I snapped. Now, if you finish clowning me, I have somewhere to be. I jumped up, grabbed my knapsack, and headed out of her bedroom. Kate, wait up, Nalisha called at my back, please. I swiveled around and barked, what? Don't go yet, I have something to give you. And I'll end there. Oh, what? Wait, what? What did she give her? <laughs> read the book, yo. Read oh, the book. <laughs> Marketing genius. <laughs> no, I love that because, you know, it really transported me back. I mean, I, it, it hasn't been a long time, but like, it transported <laughs> me back to like when I was younger and I would just, you know, I, I I forget what was it the the brush your shoulders off dance or whatever. Uh -huh, I uh -huh. My cousins would just make fun of me because like they felt like I was too nerdy and I was not doing the brush your shoulders off correctly. <laughs> and it just, I just remember it. That just really made me think about um, like how people would kind of get stuck up about certain things that they think nerdy people aren't doing correctly. So I felt right. for her in that. And um, wow. What did what did she mean by I'm not a foster child, I'm in foster care? Oh, I'm glad you asked because that's a really big thing for me. Um, <clears throat> so I'm wondering who came up with the idea of calling children foster children or a foster child. And I remember on Twitter, a grown woman had said, I'm a former foster child. And I said, if you don't mind... I would like to revise your tweet and say you're a former child in care. And she was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Oh. You know, and she was a grown woman. So these children have to walk around with that label all their lives when it really mm -hmm. is just a temporary fit for a bad situation. Mm. And I, I really believe in how a narrative can be changed based on how you look at it, yeah. you know? And so it's very important for me to spread this message. It's been an uphill climb because people don't understand words matter and it affects you for your life. You know, when I had my, my, my confidence, it was mostly wrapped up in, I was the best dressed girl at one point in high school. You know, I was focused on all the wrong things, but mm -hmm. when you tell yourself you're great based on who you are on the inside, that's the sustainable thing, you know? Because peer yeah. pressure never ends. You're, you can be an adult and still get dissed and dismissed. Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah, so that's Is the there thing. a specific reason why you wanted to tell Kate's story? Yeah, I wanted to show that it doesn't matter who you come from or where you come from, you can survive. And I didn't really know anything about foster care, but my biggest compliment came from a young girl in foster care Mm. who thought I was in foster care because she felt it was that authentic. And oh. she said that I really helped change her life and her view of her current circumstances. So to know that I was able to do that just keeps me going in the face of all of this doubt. So I did want to unpack that. You know, I said I have a writer's journey and I hope you could help me unpack 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I want to unpack the idea of you don't have any room in your suitcase for self-doubt, you know, because when it comes to publishing the book, you're going to have a whole nother set of challenges. Most of you have never heard of Dream Jordan, and I've been out for 10 years plus. So if you're not going to enjoy the process, it's definitely not the vocation for you because there's a lot more that comes with it, you know, the mm-hmm. business side. Amazing. Amazing. The, yeah. You're already like that. That must be like the greatest compliment ever is that you really got into the head of somebody that you were trying whose story you were trying to tell and get out there so I'm really happy that happened for you I'm definitely buying the book (laughs) hey my first sale (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding though thank you so much you're awesome like thank you you're awesome I don't mean to sound like a nanny but I'm so proud of you like You are doing your thing. I mean, I'm just impressed. I'm not I even, really I'm appreciate not it. No doubt. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so for much. this. And thank yes. you for coming on. That was that was amazing. And your voice, you should be you ever think about reading uh audiobooks? <laughs> I know I was told that before. I mean, I'm in the market. I'm down for whatever <laughs> is like, yo. <laughs> I'm open. Yes. <laughs> Oprah, call me because she done shut down the the channel and I always thought that I would be on Oprah. Like that was my thing. And then she yes. done shut down the Oprah show and I'm like, oh, well. I'm going to need her. Yeah, I've, I had that same problem. I'm going to need her to like make some type of comeback. You know what? Maybe we'll go on Super Soul Sunday one day. Boom. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm lot, all for it. A lot of philosophy okay. stuff to toss around with us. <laughs> I'm with it. We need to. We need to spread the good word. Like, yes. I think this is a great start. And I really hope that, you know, like I said, the whole I, I can challenge. There I go again. But that I want this podcast, if anything, to, to be a takeaway for people that, you know, an overnight success is rarely the case. People work at their craft for years and it's very important to support the people who want to give good content. Cause honestly, the pioneers of hip hop are the brokest and the ones who spread True. the message of I'm better than you and my role bigger than yours. They're the richest. And what, how does that make sense? Make that make sense. You know? Dang. Oh. And that's the note we ending off on. Make no it make doubt. sense, you guys. Make <laughs> it make sense, please. <laughs> Where can they find your book at? Your books. I am on. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, you can go to my website, www.dreamjordanbooks.com. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, St. Martin's Press, Wednesday's Books. I'm all over. I'm all city. I'm I'm worldwide, y'all. <laughs> she is a celebrity. <laughs> soon, soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Take care.